Here we go. Happy glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. Hey, this is the day that the Lord has made. Don't worry, I can cut all of that out of the online sermon. All right. So today we are finishing our time in First John. So if you have your uh, third John rather, if you uh, have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to third John chapter one. Um, the sermon series is ending. I know again, you're terribly sad at this. Um, it's been fun for me. Uh, and so today we're going to be looking at third John. Uh, what's interesting about John, and we'll get there in a little bit, is that third John isn't like the other two books. It's much more of a personal letter. Uh, and we'll get there, but I just want to preface by saying there are some people who believe that Third John wasn't actually meant to be published and shared in churches, that it was more of a, a personal letter to uh, Gaius as opposed to something that should be read in church and yet was sort of bundled with the other epistles of John uh, and so managed to get published that way. Uh, so we'll get there, but previously what we looked at last week uh, when we looked at Second John was the fact that doctrinal confusion was a threat to the congregation's integrity. And what we said is when you had people coming in off the out, out of the outside uh, claiming to be Christians, to sound and, and, and walk like a Christian and talk like a Christian and know all the lingo, and yet was preaching something other than the gospel of Christ that was leading to division within the congregation. And so we're going to be looking now at third, the third letter of John, uh, which builds on statements about Christian, Christian hospitality in 2 John. And so uh, to set the scene, John is writing this epistle to his friend. His name is Gaius. Uh, Gaius is a, uh, a worker in Christ. He is a leader of the church. Uh, he is a good man, and John will explain that in a little bit. In this letter, it's a, a addressed to Gaius, from just the elder. Now, what's interesting about this is the same as in Second John, uh, in the in First John rather, uh, he is described as uh, as an apostle, as this and that. Uh, but Second John, he is referred to as the elder, and in Third John, he is referred to as the elder, which sort of uh, needs a tiny little bit of explanation. Is that this term elder had started propagating in the church about forty years previous to the dating of this letter. And so you have people like Peter who said that he was a co-elder of the church and you had uh, people like James who was the elder of the church in Jerusalem. And so this term, elder, had started moving about the church to describe those who were in high leadership of the church. Uh, this is one of the reasons that we know that this was written by the Apostle John uh, because of things like the terminology that he uses, the words that he uses, the theology that's in there, all connects to the other writings of John. And John himself was an elder in the church. And it's addressed to a guy called Gaius. Now, I would like to tell you that we knew who this guy was, but this is the only time in Scripture that he's mentioned. Uh, there's no other reference to him anywhere. This particular Gaius, uh, he's a one-and-done kind of character. We don't know who he is, except for the fact that John wrote a letter to him. Uh, as I touched on in my introduction, some believe that this was a, a personal letter and that it wasn't meant for wide distribution. You have to remember that these letters were uh, written by the apostles or the elders of the church. They were given to a specific 
church and then they would copy them and they would then spread them around the groups of churches. Uh, And so some believe that this wasn't actually meant to go out to the group of churches, but rather it was just a personal letter to Gaius that uh, was there to instruct him and edify him and to keep him on the right track. Uh, And so it's very interesting that this uh, 3 John, which is now in our scripture, it is the inspired word of God, was actually more of a personal letter. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn again to 3 John chapter 1. There is only one chapter. Uh, And we're going to actually pick it up in verse 1. And it says this, The elder to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. The word beloved here shows that this is a person with whom John is familiar. Uh, I don't walk up to people on the street and call them beloved. Um, I very rarely address my wife as beloved. I'll say, hey, hey, honey, hey, baby, hey, sweetie. I'll do that. I'm not going to beloved. It's just weird. Um, and so, so this shows a, an intimacy between John and, and Gaius in as much as uh, they probably had a personal relationship in as much as they knew each other, they were co-workers in Christ, uh, they probably had met, had been uh, in the same ministry areas together, they had done uh, service together for Jesus. And so this is showing that, that John is very familiar with Gaius by calling him beloved. In addition to that, it was traditional in Greek writings, in Greek letters, to wish for good health, to uh, open a, a letter, salvo, if you will, by saying, hey, I want the best for you. And this is especially true if you were writing a personal letter as opposed to a letter that was meant for a lot of people. And so you don't pick up on this in the writings of Paul because Paul was writing specifically to churches. Uh, but in Third, uh, Third John, this being a personal letter, it would have been uh, rude of John not to include some sort of writing and wishing for good health. This is another clue that this is a personal letter and not meant wide publication. In addition to that, that he prays that <clears throat> Gaius is good in good health as it goes well with your soul. He doesn't just care about the physical uh, wellness of Gaius. He also cares about his spiritual well-being. Verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And this brings us to a a certain sentiment for those who are in church ministry leadership is that uh, when you see people learning and growing, it makes you really happy. This is a, a joyful thing for those who are in leadership of the church, that when you see people growing in their spiritual walk, who are learning more about the nature and character of God, uh, you get this nice little feeling right here. Uh, Me, I don't do feelings that often, but sometimes, every now and then, I get this nice little feeling right here. Now, if this is true, then the opposite also is true. When you see someone who is not doing what they're supposed to, you get a feeling in the pit of your stomach that says, oh man, maybe, maybe it was me that messed up. And so, it's interesting for us, because church leadership... You get this idea that it's, the, it's just the, the preacher or the pastor who's doing it, but really it's anyone who's in a, uh, a state of spiritual authority in the church. It's anyone 
who leads a Bible study, anyone who leads a prayer session, anyone who leads a band or timbrels or songsters or whatever it happens to be, that is a position of spiritual leadership and authority. And so in those positions, when you see people under your care growing in their walk with God, it makes you happy and you should rejoice. And that's a biblical thing. A, a lot of times uh, you'll be told, you know, don't rejoice over that. It's, it's the Holy Spirit doing this work. It's not you. You shouldn't have any joy in this. You shouldn't take any responsibility or credit for this. This is God doing his thing. And to a certain extent, that's correct. It is God doing his thing, but it's God doing his thing through you. And you being responsive to the will of God then allows that ministry to happen. And so uh, there's a biblical precedent here for us to rejoice when things are going well. Rejoice. Or say nothing, your choice, whatever. I'm here for the full hour. It doesn't matter if you agree with me or not. When we get to verse 5, this letter is going to shift gears. So up until this point, it's been the personal introduction. Hey guys, how you doing, buddy? Hey guys, uh, I heard everything's going well. Heard your church is growing. I heard it was good for you. Like, let's put this into layman's terms. He was introducing, saying, man, I hope the family's good. I hope you're good, but I hear good things about what you're doing. But now the letter is going to shift gears ever so slightly, so we're going to pick this up in verse 5. He said this, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner that is worthy of of God. Uh, he's talking about itinerant ministers. We'll get to that in just a, a second. But he's talking about people who are going around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, who uh, don't take money from people who, uh, who are simply existing on the charity of the church at this point, going around and around and around and preaching the gospel in different cities, in different countries. Uh, he continues here in verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, which is Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles, therefore we offer to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And he's saying these people have taken nothing from non-Christians. They've taken nothing from people who are outside our fellowship. And there's a very real and logical reason for this. It's so they're not beholden to anyone other than those who have the same mindset of the church. And so here's the thing. Uh, when you accept money, when you accept a donation, uh, there's very rarely any times where their money comes in that there are no strings attached to it. You can do 100% what you want without any sort of feeling of maybe I should be doing, a, doing it a certain way or doing something certain with it. And so for a charitable organization, so we'll use the Salvation Army as an example, when money comes in, we're always very uh, mindful here of the intent of our donors. What did they want us to do with the money? How can we use this money the correct way? And so that does shape mission in a certain way because if someone gives you money for food boxes, then you have to spend that money on food boxes. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with that thought? And so what, what's happening here is very interesting. What John is saying is that these itinerant ministers are going around and not taking money from anyone who doesn't have the work of Christ at the forefront, who's saying, take this money, take this hospitality, let me take you in, let me feed you, let me house you, as long as the message of Christ and the gospel is going forth in first place and of most importance. And so, so that 
if you read through this quickly, you can sort of skip over that and think, oh yeah, just be nice to, to Christians. Just If someone needs help, just let them come into your house and, and blah, blah, blah. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the prioritization of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, saying that these preachers are not beholden to anyone other than to preach the gospel. That should be the first and foremost thing. Gaius was walking, welcoming itinerant preachers. And here's something that you pick up uh, at the bottom of verse 8. Therefore we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Everyone is called to service. Not everyone is called to the same service. So there are these itinerant ministers going around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and pushing forward the church and growing the church. And then there were members of the church who were then welcoming these people into their homes. Those are two different types of service. If you only had people who were willing to accept people into their homes, the message of the gospel wouldn't go forward because no one would be verbally taking it. If you only had people who were walking around doing stuff, well, they wouldn't have any food, they wouldn't have any shelter, and so that would die out real quick and the gospel of Christ wouldn't go forward. And so what you see here is the fact that it takes all sorts of people to keep the church going. This is what Paul talks about when he talks about that we're all one body, yet different parts. When he says some of you are a, a, an earpiece, some of you are a mouthpiece, some of you are hands, some of you are feet. Uh, I have a friend in Australia uh, who was born without her big toe. Um, she falls over all the time because that big toe is actually what gives her balance. And so it'll be ridiculous. She'll just be standing there and then she'll just fall. Like, it's, it's, it's funny to watch in sort of a I'm glad that's happening to you, not me kind of way. Like, if we can be honest, I'm not being non-Christian about this. You know, if she falls over, I'm going to help her get up and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of funny just to see someone standing there and suddenly they just go down. And then when they're on the ground, like, nope, it was just me. Don't worry about it. Like, they, they, she's chill about it. But the church needs a big toe as much as it needs someone who's a mouthpiece. It needs everyone to, to connect and it needs everyone in order to draw the message forward, to draw the gospel of Jesus Christ forward, to get it out there. It takes everyone. So I don't know what your passion is. I don't know what your, your point of ministry you want it to be, but there's, a, there's room for you. <coughs> there's room for you to do anything and everything in the church of Christ. Except for preaching, that's my job. None of you can have that. That's what I do. Get your own job. Right? It takes all sorts to draw the ministry forward. And everyone is called to service, not everyone is called to the same service. Now, we're shifting gears again in verse 9. I have written something to the church, but, but Ditrephus, and if you think that's the way to pronounce it, good for you, who likes to put himself first does not acknowledge our authority. This is what you need to know. There is a dude in the church at this time that John is writing this letter to who doesn't acknowledge the authority of those who are above him and instead in all things puts himself first. If we're being honest, we all know people like this. Not even necessarily in the church, but just we know people like this, right? People who think that they know everything and who always put themselves first in all situations. Like, that it's about them. Like, I'm not sure, 
you're a little unresponsive today, so maybe it's just me, but there are some times when I go into rooms and I can spot these people that I know they're not talking about, like, they're the, they're the big wig in the room. They're the person who is in, in control and authority. I see a couple of nods. Again, no one's talking. You're quiet today. I don't know what's going on. Um, there we go. And so this uh, diatrephus uh, is someone who, is, who has used the church to elevate his own status to the point where when John writes letters, he's saying, no, 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 don't listen to the elder of the church. Don't listen to the apostle. Listen to me. I know better. And he had to be real careful when some, like we just sung a song, uh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Uh, if you ask John that question, you know what his answer would be? Yes. I was standing at the foot of the cross. I was standing right there and Jesus from the cross talked to me. Like, uh, like this is John here. Like sometimes we got this little disconnection in our, in our minds that John was a real person. He was standing at the foot of the cross. He was one of the ones that ran to the tomb to find it empty. He was one of those ones. Were you there when he rose up from the dead? Yes, I was. I ran to the tomb. Like when Mary told me it was empty, I ran to the tomb. Like this is John. And yet this uh, diatrephus is like, no, 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 no. I know better than him. I'm more important than him. I'm more learned than him. I know more about Jesus than he does. Like, don't get me wrong. I have, I have a little bit of a uh, humility and pride issue. Um, but if John's standing right then there and someone asks me a question, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him take this one. Like, unless it's about you know, microphones or live streaming, John's taking this question, right? That's, that's, and so, so I... I don't want to belabor this point, but this guy thinks he knows better than the apostle and the elder. And so John continues and says this in verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. <coughs> this guy is a control freak. If anyone goes against what he wants, he kicks them out of the church. This guy is like, uh, he's talking wicked nonsense. Here's, here's what's really interesting about uh, Diatrephus. Like, he's now been shamed in the Bible. Like, how bad has it got to be for you to be like, uh, do you remember that Diatrephus? Yeah, don't be this guy. Like, for all eternity, your name is written in the Holy Scriptures that goes forward in the most languages that any book has ever been written in, in more countries that any book has ever been published in. And for all of human history, your name is right there as a warning of, don't be this guy. Like, you get on the evening news, and they're like, outside your house, and they're like, see this guy? He put up his Christmas tree before Halloween. Don't be this guy. Right? Don't be the guy who thinks they know better than everyone, who thinks it's my way or the highway, and if you don't like it, get out of my church. Don't be that guy. Because let, let me tell you something. I became a Christian when I was four years old. I've been studying scripture ever since 
Like, I didn't think it was weird until I became an adult, but I was reading the books of St. Augustine and, uh, and Arminius and Calvin and Wesley and Luther when I was 12. Like, I thought that was normal reading material. I am a nerd about scripture beyond all nerds could possibly be. And listen, there are oceans of things about the Bible that I still do not understand or get and probably won't until I get to heaven, at which time I won't care because I'll be in the presence of Jesus. So it doesn't matter how long you've studied, what you know, you do not know everything. So if you argue from a position of saying, I know everything, and if you disagree with me, there's the door, don't let it hit you on the way out, you're this guy. And don't be this guy. This is why John, over this entire series, has been hammering home the point of love. Because if Diatrophus loved rather than loved himself, if he loved others more than he loved himself, if he loved God more than he loved himself, wouldn't be kicking people out of the church simply for having a disagreement of opinion. We can disagree on opinion, we can disagree on interpretation, we can disagree on everything except for the, the, that Jesus Christ is God and that he is the only way to get to heaven. Like, we can disagree on some stuff. And that's okay. Disagreement in a healthy way can lead, in fact, to edification and building up of one another if we disagree on stuff. Because what happens is when you disagree, if you're anything like me, when I disagree with someone, I'll go then and research it to prove how I'm right. Like, I'll, I'm straight over there. I'm onto Google. I'll see, look, this, this person says, whoa, you know, get rid of that person. Oh, this one agrees with me. Like, that's what I do. Healthy disagreement, healthy disagreement actually leads to edification because you go and you research the other point of view to prove yourself right and in the meantime you usually actually prove yourself wrong right but don't be this guy don't be diatrophus he's got a silly name don't be him he says this beloved do not imitate evil but imitate good Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Again, it's divisive, I know, but John makes the point that if you do evil, you do not know God. And if you don't know God, then you're not saved. So if you do evil, you're not saved. It's a hard point. John has made it in every single one of his epistles, which means we should be paying attention to it. That if you do evil, you are not saved. But he says, imitate good. Imitate good. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. Going back to verse 11 where he says, do not imitate evil but imitate good. Perhaps there is a, uh, a cause here to fake it till you make it. Like if you don't know what's good, imitate good. If you don't know if it's the right thing to do, see if it's a good thing and then do it. If you think it's an evil thing, then don't do it. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Not Jiminy Cricket, the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not about your conscience. It's about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to inform you of what's good and what's not. And listen, the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you astray. The Holy Spirit isn't going to lie to you. The Holy Spirit isn't going to entrap you. Listen to the Holy Spirit in your life. I truly believe that if you were born again, if you love Jesus, then the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And if the Holy Spirit lives inside you, then he will direct you when something bad comes up. Like, that's his job. Like, 
not job in the way you know you go to work and you get paid like that's what the holy spirit does it's what jesus said the holy spirit does he says i'm going to send to you someone who is a comforter who's going to guide you who's going to tell you what's right what's wrong who's going to guide your footsteps in the right way to go so fake it till you make it but also if in doubt do good like if in doubt do good if you have to choose between hurting someone and not choose the not right and i i guarantee you that on a daily basis you're not confronted with major issues of situational ethics okay um, I guarantee you that on a day, daily basis, you are not going to be confronted with Sophie's choice, right? On a daily basis. You might have one or two of those situations come up over your entire lifespan, but on a daily basis, you're not going to be confronted with such ethical dilemmas that would quandary most people. Instead, what you're going to face on a daily basis is little things. And it's going to be the death of a thousand cuts. And so when those little things come up, if in doubt, do good. And that leads us to this last guy called Demetrius. Who's Demetrius? Well, have you heard of these other two people as well? Demetrius, Phoebe, and Tychicus? Um, These guys delivered letters. Now, what's interesting is our... uh, now, don't be this guy. Don't be Diotrephus. He's made it into the Bible for all eternity as the don't be this guy guy, right? Demetrius <clears throat> hand-delivered the epistles of John. Phoebe hand-delivered the epistles to the Roman churches. And Tychicus hand-delivered the letters to the Ephesians. These were Christians. Now, here's, what, here's why. Uh... As the church was growing, the Roman government wanted to keep an eye on the church. And so the church leaders were under surveillance and their letters were opened and read. And if there was anything that was anti-Roman there, they would get arrested and martyred. This is what was the, as, as you look at the early church, this is what they were undergoing. They were undergoing persecution. They were un- undergoing a surveillance state. In fact, there's an entire theory that says the, uh, the book of Revelation the entire book is actually written in a code so that if the Romans uh, opened the letter, because at that point John was on the island of Patmos, so the only way his letter was getting off was by courier of the Romans, that the entire thing was written in a code that the Romans wouldn't understand, which is why he used such graphic imagery. The other reason is because God wanted it to be graphic to describe the end times. And so these three people, Demetrius, Phoebe, Tychicus, hand-delivered letters. They were Christians. Uh, where I said that not everyone has the same service, but everyone has service, this was theirs, to hand-deliver letters. Now, maybe Demetrius didn't do a too good job if this was supposed to be a personal letter, but, you know, let's not judge him until later. And so you had the don't-be-this-guy guy who is immortalized in Scripture forever as the don't-be-this-guy. Then you've got people like Demetrius who served. All he did was carry a letter from one place to another, but now he is immortalized in Scripture as a servant of Christ, as a dearly beloved friend. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone 
and from the truth itself. Demetrius is a good guy. And he forever is going to be in Scripture. Now, <coughs> Paul ends his letter in much the same way. He said, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you, and greet the friends, each by name. Now, those are the epistles of John. It's time to finish. It's time to end our time in the books of John. So, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, in our, we've, got, we've got five minutes left. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to mute this so it doesn't blow everyone's eardrums out. <laughs>